We will begin with a continuation of our series, the title of which is on the screen behind me, Praying With Your Eyes Open. And we've had some notes over the last several weeks that we've been going through this. So if you've not been with us, you may not have one of those notebooks. If you have been with us, you may have thrown your notebook away or misplaced it or forgot to bring it today. So we have uh, some notes that we're going to continue from the past. So if you don't have those, you'll, you'll not have a portion of what I'm going to say today. And then we have some additional notes to add to those for today and next week when we end the series. So Larry has some, and Len has them, and Gene has them. If you'll get their attention, they'll get them to you. And we're going to be on page 14 of the notes that we passed out. So what these guys are handing out are pages 15 through 17. That'll end the series. But we have a, a few to cover on page 14 from last time. So if you have page 14, we'll turn there in just a bit. Let me run through some announcements, and then I'll try to bring you up to speed if you've not been here. And it's been a couple of weeks since we've met, so for those even that have been here, I want to remind you what this series, Praying With Your Eyes Open, is, is all about. But just to remind you of some uh, announcements, and I always encourage you to take a look at the program and keep abreast of what's coming up. We have a, a busy church with lots of ministries that can be of help to you if you avail yourself of them. But ladies, coming up on the 19th, Thursday of the 19th of this month, is the next ladies' night out that's listed in the uh, program. And it's just a fellowship at the Allen Park Community Center, and it's called Bring a Thing. Just bring something that you want to uh, work on in the presence of some friends over appetizer and dessert. Uh, and you're encouraged to and asked to bring either an appetizer or a dessert for that. Uh, we have a new series that we're going to be doing two weeks from today. So this series will end next Sunday, and then on the 22nd, we'll start a nine-week series called The Gospel-Centered Life. And for that series, we have a, a workbook. It's a published workbook, and we've purchased uh, a supply of those, and we have them. We actually have them today. Those are available at, right, Danita? Those are over there? The uh, Gospel-Centered Life? I can't see who that is. That's Danita. Okay. They're over there? Okay. So they're there. You can pick them up today or next week uh, or the week we start the series. Uh, they are uh, $5. Uh, that is less than we paid for them. And if you're a guest, if you're new to our church, then they're free to you. If you go and tell them that you're new to the church, we know, we know whether you're new or not. So don't try that, okay? <laughs> we got, they've got kind of an optical scanner and then a buzzer goes off and all kinds of stuff. It says, this person's been here before, all right? But if you're new, they're free, but they are $5 to, to everybody else. So you can pick those up over the next couple of weeks, and then we'll have that nine-week series two weeks uh, from today. Men, on the 29th, three weeks uh, from today, is our annual sportsman's dinner. And we always have a great time with that, always good food, and there are prizes for that. And uh, we also have a, a message uh, of the gospel, brief but poignant. And so if you have guys... Uh, the, that don't know the Lord, this would be a good thing to bring them to so that they can meet some of the guys, have a good time, but also hear about the Lord as well. So that'll be on Sunday evening, three weeks from tonight, on the 29th. It's going to be at the Westfield Activity Center in, in Trenton. That's behind the Trenton Library on West Road. There are tickets for that. The tickets are $10, and those are available at the Resource Center. So we encourage you to start picking those up. And next Sunday, during the refreshment time, the cafe community time, Guys, we'll all be up front here for about 10 minutes for an informational meeting about that event, okay? So, fellas, please plan to be there. Think of somebody to invite. Get your tickets. If you can afford to buy a ticket 
for a friend you're inviting, then that'll be incentive for them to come if it's free to them. If you're able to do that, that'd be a good way to go. And then uh, coming up in February, we have a family meeting on the 5th, Sunday afternoon, February 5th. And I mention it because we're going to give some information about our ministry center that we're trying to acquire. And in the uh, month since we've, over a month now that we've announced that to the church and had an informational meeting for the congregation, we've been trying to gather as much information as we can about that project. And we're going to present all of that to you on that day. So mark that, Sunday afternoon, February 5th a congregational meeting, and one of the main things we'll go over is information about our, our ministry center. Just a couple other items. February 18th is a Saturday, and that Saturday morning from 10 a.m. to noon at our house is our next newcomer's brunch. So if you've never been to one of our brunches, consider yourself a newcomer. Even if you've been around a while and the schedule just didn't work for you to come to one of the brunches, we'd love to have you. And certainly if you are really relatively new here, this is an opportunity for us to get to know you and you, us. There's no program, certainly no obligation, absolutely no pressure. And I'm not just a guy on TV saying that. No, I mean that. Uh, no one will call you. No one will pressure you, any of that. But just a chance in an informal setting to get to know each other better. If you do have questions about who we are and why we do stuff the way we do and all of that, then I'm happy to try to answer those. But you don't have to have any questions. Just come with an appetite and a desire to get to know each other better. That's on the 18th of February, 10 a.m. at our house. We need to know who's coming so we know how much brunch to prepare. So uh, let the folks at the information center know, and they're keeping a list of who else coming. Let them know today if you, if you can. Last, in March, is our next baptism. So if you have never been baptized, then uh, consider in March whether or not you might be a candidate for that. It's something that Jesus Christ, who is God, says you're supposed to do. So that's fairly high authority. And when he says uh, you, you are to be baptized and those who name my name and are my fo followers signify that in part by being willing to get in front of people and be immersed in water so that they show that they believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, then that's not optional. That's something he says you must do. If you've never done that, if you've never been immersed in water as baptism then that's something Jesus requires of us. So let me know. We'll set a time to sit down, let you know what it takes in order to be a candidate for baptism, and then hopefully you can participate that at our next baptism in March. All right. Let me as quickly as I can review what this series, Praying With Your Eyes Open, is about because it's been three weeks since we've met for this material, and that's because we had Christmas and we had New Year, and on both of those Sundays uh, we did not have our educational hour, just our worship time. Praying with your eyes open, the title of that is really designed to say that we need to pray knowledgeably. That I need to pray with my eyes open, meaning I need to know what I'm doing. I need to see what I'm doing and as best I can understand what I'm doing when I'm, when I'm praying. So pray with your eyes open means to pray with, with knowledge. Knowledge about God, knowledge about Christ, knowledge about, about ourselves. And so understanding something of what God has made known, revealed about himself to us in Scripture helps us approach God in an appropriate way. And then knowing what God has done for us in the person and work of God the Son, Jesus Christ, helps us know how we're to approach God, even tells us some of the things that we need to approach God about. And in turn, that leads to the necessity of understanding ourselves. Because the reason God the Son had to do the things that he did, come to earth, die a cruel death, 
uh, was all because of a malady that we all are afflicted with, and the Bible calls that, that sin. And all of that then plays together when I come to approach this God who is absolutely holy, God who came to earth to die for, for my sin, and here I am, a sinner. How do, I, how do I do all of that? So praying with your eyes open is designed then to help us have some understanding about God and about Christ and about ourselves so that we can approach God in an appropriate manner. So to that end, in the material, the notebooks that most of you have received, we started on pages 2 through 5, and on those pages we suggested that we think about starting our prayers in Jesus' name. So if you were with us several weeks ago, you may remember that, starting our prayers in Jesus' name. Now, most of us, myself included, have for many, many years had the habit of we end our prayers in Jesus' name, amen. I've been doing it for so many years, I'll probably never be able to change it. And that's okay. If you were with us when we went through that, the point is not to have a mechanical, formulaic, start your prayers with certain wording or end your prayers with certain wording. But the idea of starting our prayers in Jesus' name means, in those pages 2 through 5, that one, we understand the merit of Jesus when we approach God. We understand that he, God the Son, is completely sinless, came to earth, lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we deserved. But when we come in Jesus' name, we are coming on the merit of Jesus. We are now approaching God through someone who is absolutely sinless. So that's what it means to start your prayer in Jesus' name. Not with those words exactly, but with the idea that I can only come to God because someone has done what I was supposed to do and has, aptly, and has actually lived a sinless life before God. And so starting our prayers in Jesus' name means we understand the merit of Jesus that allows us to come to God. And it, it means that we understand the access that we have to God because of Jesus. The Bible says he is now then our, our high priest, and we are able to come to God through him he is one who can empathize with our weaknesses, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says. And so even though he was without sin, nevertheless, he was tempted in all ways like we are, yet without sin. That's what Hebrews 4.15 says. And so we have this access to God through our high priest who lived on earth, had trials and temptations, but never sinned. And this one who is now our high priest can make an appeal to God the Father on our behalf and give us access to God the Father directly. So the Bible says as a high priest, he appeals to the Father for us. And because we are united with him, we can come to the Father directly and ask the Father for our petitions and our requests. So to start our prayers in Jesus' name means that we come on the merits of Jesus' sinless life. And we have access to the Father because of Jesus' high priesthood. It means that our prayers have power because if we come in, in Jesus' name, identifying with, with Jesus, God the Son, this perfect one, the one who gives us access, he says that he gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit translates our prayers because... Bible doesn't say this is just my translation. We're too dumb to know what to ask for. I mean, Romans 8.26 says, we do not know what we should ask for. And so the Holy Spirit intercedes for us 
But we have this Holy Spirit interceding for us because we have this relationship with Jesus. If you don't have the relationship with Jesus, you don't have the Holy Spirit, and therefore you don't have this power of translating your prayers into what, not what you think you need, but what you really need. And the Holy Spirit knows what I really need, despite what I, in my limited perspective, think I need. I don't know what to, to ask for. And then, coming in Jesus' name, starting in Jesus' name means we come asking God for his purposes to be accomplished ultimately. When you come in someone's name, you're coming asking for that person's purposes to be accomplished. And so if I say in Jesus' name, I am saying I want what matters to Jesus, what Jesus desires, ultimately to be fulfilled. And of course, ultimately, that is his glory. That is his honor. And whatever the circumstances then that are required in order to, order to achieve that highest purpose, I am saying when I come in Jesus' name, that's what I want. I want what Jesus wants. So we start our prayers in Jesus' name. Not just those, not those words, but with that mindset. The merit that Jesus has, the access that Jesus gives, the power of the Holy Spirit that comes with a relationship with Jesus, and then the purposes that Jesus has in order to magnify his name in his world. Then on pages 6 through 9, we, we called that offering our prayers in Jesus' way. So starting our prayers in Jesus' name, but then offering our prayers in Jesus' way. And what's Jesus' way? Well, he gave us a way, a model, in which to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And we know it as the Lord's Prayer, but you always hear me say that it's really the disciples' prayer. It's not a prayer the Lord prayed, but one he gave to his followers, us, to pray. And in that prayer, praying in Jesus' way, he says, pray like this. Ask the Father for things related to the Father, and then ask the Father for things related to the family. Ask the Father for stuff related to the Father first. And then after you've done that, ask the Father for things related to you and others, the family. Because in that model prayer, Jesus has six requests, six petitions. And the first three of them relate to the Father, and then the last three relate to, to us, the family. You remember the first three, hallowed be your name? So may your name, may your character be set apart. That's what ho hallowed or holy means in your world, in my life and extended throughout your world. May your name be holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then we go to three petitions, three requests related to the family. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. And lead us not into temptation. Or give us spiritual protection for the purpose of, of spiritual growth. That's pages 6 through 9. And then, beginning on page 10, we started looking at conforming our prayers to Jesus' word. So, starting our prayers in, in Jesus' name and offering our prayers in Jesus' way, but then conforming our prayers to what Jesus says in the Bible, his word. And so beginning on page 10, we have a number of things that are listed there that Jesus' word says that we are to, to do when we pray. We're to pray, for instance, confidently. And we're to pray boldly. We've seen some of those. And now we come to page confidently and spiritually and boldly, but now on page 14... We see that Jesus' word tells us to pray expectantly. So when we pray, we should come and we should expect that there will be, there will be 
an answer, and there always will be. Now, we've all learned that the answer is not always what I want, and the answer is certainly not always when I want. But there is always an answer, and we should expect that there will be an answer. And that expectancy should cause us to be persistent in praying to to the Lord. So on page 14, notice what we say. In Jesus' parable of the persistent neighbor in Luke 11, which, by the way, Luke 11 has the disciples' prayer as well, not just Matthew 6. And so following that, Jesus gives an illustration of praying of this parable of a story of a persistent neighbor. And in that, you remember, it's midnight, banging on the door saying, I need bread, and keeps coming, I need bread. And the requester is not only persistent, and we're going to cover that persistency in, in the next point, but very specific, this is what I need. This is what I'm asking. This is what I believe I need, and and I believe I need that now. Now, asking then specifically things from God is something that's fine to do. But asking for something specific from God and demanding that God meet that specific request are two different things. You know, Paul asked for something specific from God. We have it for you in that first paragraph. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul had some kind of a physical ailment. Uh, Many of us believe, I believe it was an eye problem that he had, maybe resulting from his Acts chapter 9 experience on the road to Damascus where he is struck down and blinded temporarily because he he doesn't seem to have been able to write and, and, and see very well. And he will say sometimes at the end of his letters, see with what large letters... I have signed this. So he doesn't say exactly what it was, but it's some kind of, it calls it a thorn in the flesh. And so that flesh idea uh, appears to mean a physical malady, perhaps an eye problem, but whatever it was, it bugged him. It was a problem for him. And he asked God, and he says there, I asked God, I pled with God. Three times I asked the Lord, and the Lord's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. So he's asking for a specific thing, and he is asking for that thing persistently, and yet God gives him not the answer that he was looking for, but rather an answer that was better than what he thought he, thought he needed. So in that second paragraph, while it's good and right for us to pray for our specific requests, the tremendous privilege of approaching the triune God for specific concerns does not need to be limited to our immediate context. And here's what's being said in that paragraph. That is, when I come with a specific request, that's a good thing, but I need to know, recognize that I have a limited vantage point and that God is accomplishing much larger things in his world, things that I cannot see. This circumstance of mind fits into that larger mosaic that God is producing in his world, and I don't know how. So I have to come humbly, Lord, this is what I'm asking for. But I also acknowledge that I really don't know what's best in the larger scheme. And so I temper my specific request by acknowledging, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done. And use this circumstance. If you choose not to answer it in the way that I am requesting, then I ask you to use this circumstance to accomplish Jesus' purposes in his world. So we come expectantly. God is going to answer the prayer, but it may not be in the way or in the time that we we desired. Third paragraph, prayers for specific matters before our eyes should mature into prayers then for greater matters 
that our eyes cannot perceive. We need to understand that the works of believers are rifle shots against the enemies of the kingdom. But prayer is the Christian's artillery. Prayer is our most potent weapon for breaking down distant strongholds that oppose the advance of God's work. And for this reason, it's been said, prayer is not seeking after a greater work of God. Prayer is a greater work of God. And so in my prayers and in what he is choosing to answer and the way he's choosing to answer that, he's advancing his work not only here but in places beyond by the chain reaction of all of the circumstances that are taking place in his world. And lastly, knowledge that our Heavenly Father loves us, desires to hear from us, will answer our prayers, compels us to give specific prayer with the expectation that great things will come to us from his hand. So conforming our prayers to Jesus' word means praying with the expectation that there will be result, results, that there will be answers, but not necessarily in the way we ask or in the time, time frame that we want it. Now, if you look at page 15, the Bible tells us as well to pray persistently. Many of you are familiar with George Mueller and his orphanage and his just legendary prayers and miraculous answers to prayers and his continual persistence in, in prayer. Well, here's an illustration from him. Faithful prayer is not marked by the immediacy of answers as much, by, as, much as by persistent petition. Mueller was faithful in prayer. He knew to keep praying when answers were immediate, when they were delayed, or when they seemed absent. In his youth, he began praying for the salvation of five guys. He never stopped. Now get this. One accepted Christ within two years. Two more confessed their sin and need of Christ's righteousness after ten years. And Mueller died with the main, remaining two friends, yet unsaved, despite 52 years of praying for them. But a few months later, these two placed faith in Christ for eternity as well. What a, what a cool thing, right? And these two guys show up in heaven say, hey, <laughs> I, whoa, I did not expect to see you two guys. <laughs> there. So you keep praying, and God answers in his timing. And sometimes that timing will be out of your sight, out of your purview, maybe even beyond your lifetime, as it was with, with Mueller. But why don't we then persist in prayer? A number of reasons are given. We may simply grow weary of asking. But we may also grow to doubt that God will answer or that he has our best interests at heart. Delayed answers to deep hurts can scar faith and can also help feed the conviction God does not want to answer our petition, at least not in the way we're asking. Such an attitude is not necessarily wrong. One way, now get this, that we clarify our understanding of God's will is testing it in prayer. Teaching us to yield humbly to God's plan may be his purpose. Now you all see that? I'm continually praying for this, but then the Lord is not answering it that way. Which then in turn causes me and should cause you to say, maybe this is not what the Lord then wants for me. And I then need to begin to, to exercise wisdom, and praying wisely is one of the things we're going to see next week. I have to now exercise wisdom to determine whether or not God is saying by his silence, this is not what I have for you. I want you to go now, a different, a different route. And very often, as we'll see next week, he brings circumstances in our lives to make that, make that clear to us. Middle of that second paragraph, at the same time, we need to be sure we do not mistake timidity for humility. 
God's not offended because we return to him. Jesus said, don't give up. And even respect for God's majesty should not make us fretful about approaching his throne repeatedly. Or God's not like a city council who gets hacked off by repeated requests for a building permit. We do not need to worry that our prayers may become too frequent or repetitive for God. Now take a look down at the bottom of page 15. Why does God want this persistent prayer? And that question enters every honest, honest heart. Why does the sovereign God, who's able to control all things, miraculously answers prayer in Scripture, tells us that we'll receive whatever we ask in Jesus' name, still want persistent prayer? He can answer anything we ask in the blink of an eye. Why does he sometimes delay his answer? And here are some, some reasons. One is that our persistence can help us discover why God blesses by not answering as we ask. So as an illustration, uh, a pastor was called by a couple in his church who had been looking for a house, and they said, hey, will you, we found a house we want. We think this is the right place. Will you pray with us that we'll be able to get this house? It's in the right price range. It has the size we need for our family, but also we'll be able to carry on ministry here. It's in the right location and proximity to our ministry and so on. And he says, for sure. And so they pray, they pray for that. But about a week later, they find out that their bid was not accepted. Somebody else got it. And that became a faith-jarring issue for, for this couple. And the pastor said to them, as they kind of complained to him, <laughs> you know, and nobody ever says this directly, but, dude, we came to you because we thought you had a bit of a pipeline and, and it didn't work out. I've been there. So we need a new pastor. What happened? And he, he says, listen, let's, let's pray that God will make clear to us why he didn't answer the prayer the way we want. He doesn't have to do that either, but let's ask him to do that. So they begin to pray that. And a couple of weeks later, uh, they found out, as you might guess, that that house had all sorts of problems. The building inspector had found mold problems in the house, a number of, a number of things. And a short time after that, they found a house that was just perfectly suited to to their needs. And that experience now, in turn, has taught that couple to trust God even when they don't know what's going on. Next time they pray for something and it doesn't happen when and how they want, they are going to be inclined to say, but God has something, doesn't he? Because they've experienced that. And so there are times where God will take our persistence, tell us to be persistent, but then not answer in the way or in the time that we desire in order to teach us to trust him because he has a better plan. Secondly, God also uses our persistence to provide blessings that require the passing of time. There are just some things that you pray for that don't get answered right now. And you have to pray, you need to pray for them over and over again. If you have an extended illness, an extended treatment for that illness, you don't just pray for that one time. You pray for that repetitively as you are going through the, as you're going through that and pray for the effectiveness of, of those treatments you pray for pray for the healing but it's a process what about the salvation of your children or the spiritual maturity of your children well the salvation may take take years and certainly the spiritual maturity is going to take years so the very thing for which we are asking requires persistence on our part, and that's why God tells us to learn the discipline then of being persistent. Things like the growth of, 
of, of the church. Something that's going to happen over time and God's blessing upon his work through his church are things that we will pray for persistently and, and regularly. Thirdly, persistence teaches us to trust our Savior because he works perfectly, not because he works quickly. You know, we may, we may tend to think that because God is delayed, even though I'm being persistent, that now God doesn't really care. We begin to doubt his, his care for us. But God wants us to learn, now hear this, to measure our view of his faithfulness based upon his character rather than on our circumstances. God wants us to measure our view of his faithfulness based upon his character rather than our circumstances. The truth of the matter is there are times where my circumstances, your circumstances, don't automatically point to, clearly point to the faithfulness of God. And in those times when I can't see his plan and I can't feel his hand, I need to trust his heart. So I need to base my view of God's faithfulness on his character rather than my circumstances. And what do you know about his character? A ton. No matter what you're going through, no matter what's happened, what do I know about what kind of God this is? Is he a God who cares for me? Look, you don't need to look any further than, than the cross of Jesus to know that his heart is with you and his heart cares for you, even if you don't see that right away. Now, let me give an illustration. You guys are familiar with uh, Chariots of Fire and uh, Eric Liddell and uh, an Olympic uh, runner who, because of his conviction to not run on Sunday, uh, missed out on a sure gold medal in a race that he was favored to win. and He was ridiculed, uh, right? Most of you know that. So the true story about a guy who has this conviction about not running races on Sunday, he's going to have to run this Olympic gold medal race on a Sunday. He's the favored uh, runner, and he gives it up, and he doesn't run the, uh, the gold medal. And he, uh, he uh, won another gold medal by running in a race on a non-Sunday that he was not supposed to win. So he didn't win the one that everybody knew he was going to win, because it was on a Sunday, but he ran this other race that he was not supposed to win. He won his gold medal. Anyhow. But he told a, a crowd in Paris uh, before he ran the race for that Olympic gold medal that he was not supposed to win but ultimately did, he said, I don't need an explanation from God. I simply believe him and accept whatever comes my way. Well, that's faith, friends. We live by faith and not by sight. And God does not always tell us, and certainly God is not obligated to tell us. Why did that particular race fall on Sunday that I was supposed to win? And Lydell says, God doesn't need to give me an explanation, and I don't need that explanation. I simply trust him, and I accept what comes my way. Now, I don't know if you know this, but his ultimate desire was not to be an Olympic gold medalist. His ultimate desire was to be a missionary to China. And after that whole Olympic thing, he became a missionary to China and uh, got on the field, was in China. But he was only there a short time when the Japanese invaded China. 
and imprisoned Eric Liddell. This guy spent several years in prison. He died there. Now you say, we look at that and we go, one, you're an Olympian, you're an athlete. You could do so much good, especially when we, we think superstars are what bring people to Jesus. Oh man, if we could have a superstar testify for Jesus. You know, this is just an aside, this is just me. I'm really sick of superstar Christianity. But anyway, you didn't pay for that, that's okay. But God's not really into superstars. So Eric's not, you know, to, to most people, he's wasting his life out there in China. And then on top of that, he gets imprisoned. And then on top of that, later he dies in prison. Well, what a waste that is. But there have been a number of people who have written biographies about his time there in prison and the effect that he had on other people while he was in that prison. And it was because of his disposition and his contentment even while imprisoned that he was able to embolden some of those who were weakening in their resolve. One story of a guy who was ready to commit suicide. And Lydell talked him out of it, encouraged him, gave him reason for hope. That guy went on to live through all of that and to train hundreds of ministers and missionaries later. Two of the guys that he was with, one was a fellow named Jim Taylor, another named Steve Metcalf. They were in the prison with him. Jim Taylor, you might, some of you might recognize the last name Taylor and connect it with China Missions. There's a guy named J. Hudson Taylor. Jim Taylor is his great-grandson. And J. Hudson Taylor, who was a pioneer missionary to China, his great-grandson is in prison with Eric Liddell. And these guys testified that if it wasn't for Liddell, so many of us would not have made it. There was, uh, there's, uh, there was a, an organization started called the Overseas Missionary Fellowship. Jim Taylor, after his imprisonment, he survived that, became the head of Overseas Missionary Fellowship. Steve Metcalf became one of the uh, missionaries through OMF. Now, through all of that, here's Eric Lydell, kind of wasting away in a prison. He dies, and all of this stuff happens after he dies. All sorts of things are going to carry on after we die that we're not going to have opportunity to see. And this is one of the reasons that I believe that God has reserves the judgment seat of Christ till the end of the age. You all know that when you die, you don't immediately go to the judgment if you're a Christian. You're immediately in the presence of the Lord, and the judgment seat of Christ, before which we all stand, occurs at the end of the age. After he has raptured his, his church, and we're in the final stages of human history. Now, why? Why does, it, why does he delay that? The Bible doesn't tell us. My speculation is everything has played out now. And won't that be a cool movie to see? How all that God has used in our persistence in our obedience to him, all motivated by him and all the glory to him, but God uses that in order to accomplish things that happen long after we're gone. So God says, bottom of page 15, be persistent because it teaches us to trust our Savior. He works perfectly, 
but not necessarily quickly. And persistent prayer makes us more Christ-like by tempering our human selfishness, by strengthening our our divine dependence. I mean, just the fact that I I have to wait and I can't say, (laughs) all right, where is it? means that my selfishness has to be subdued and my dependence is heightened. Prayers too soon answered would merely feed appetites that distract us from God. Now you ponder that for a bit. That's the way we are. That's the way I am. If, if I have the ability to make God just a waiter that I command and He does what I say, for a while I may use that for godly purposes. But because of my sinfulness, I'm going to, that's going to degenerate into distracting me from godly purposes. It's all about me. I mean, after all, God moves when I say, He jumps when I say jump. And just as another aside, I told you I'm sick of celebrities. One, one day I'm just going to do a whole lesson on stuff I'm sick of, okay? <laughs> just stuff I want to get off my chest. But perhaps if you've been around for a period of time, you know I don't have a great fondness for like the TV preacher types. And especially the health and wealth prosperity heresy. But that's precisely what that degenerates into, isn't it? See, your words are more powerful than God. That's a quote, says Kenneth Copeland. Your words are more powerful than God. Well, so I tell God, God has to. What's that used for? That's used for cars, that's used for more money, that's used for riches, that's used for all of these things that distract us from what's really important. And then lastly, persistent prayer also helps us consider whether our aims are in tune with God's will. As I said earlier, God's not answering and being persistent. It does then and should cause me, cause us to now say, hey, maybe I should be changing my prayer. Maybe God is by his silence saying, this is not what he he has for me. That's a wisdom decision that we'll look at next week. Now, if you'll turn to page 16. The Bible tells us as well to pray not only persistently, but, but righteously. And what's meant when we say pray righteously is this, that we, we pray within the known will of God. So in 1 John 5.14, it's quoted for you at the top of the page there, at the top of page 16. If we ask anything according to His will, then He will give us whatever it is we ask. But of course, the trick is, what's His will? How can I know that? And so with this point and then beginning next week with the next point on praying wisely, we're going to look at two fences that God gives us in order, boundaries for us to stay within, in order for us to know that we're praying within God's will. The first of those fences, boundaries, is that we pray what is right. We pray righteously. We pray what God has said in Scripture is His moral will, what He desires for us. And that's what's meant by then praying righteously. So middle of that page, third paragraph, praying within the fence of righteousness means, for instance, our prayer cannot ever be for something that God has said is wrong. Our prayer cannot be for something God has said is wrong even to accomplish something right. So, Lord, you know, I'm cheating on this test. Help me not to get caught. Because if I get a good grade, I'll get a good job. If I get a good job, I'll support more missionaries. (laughs) Okay? 
By praying within the fence of righteousness, we honor the authority and the standards of the one in whose name we pray. So any prayer offered in Jesus' name requests only what his word approves. It's more important to obey God's word than to try to predict his will. That's a good line. It's more important to obey God's word than to try to predict his will. That means do what he says. And it's more important that you do what he says and let him take care of things than to try to predict his will, which, by definition, you don't know. You want to know God's I say, quoting my theology teacher? You want to know God's will for today? Ask me tomorrow. And it's whatever happened today. But see, I don't know. I can't predict. So it's more important that I obey today and I trust God for his will today and tomorrow and next week and next year. Now, a verse that has in it, one verse in your Bible that has in it both of these aspects, these aspects being praying what is right in God's moral will, what he has said is good and virtuous and his desire, his moral will versus his, call it what you want, secret will, sovereign will, stuff that I won't know until tomorrow. And I can't predict it. There's a verse in your Bible that has both of them right in one verse. And it's Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29. And it says this, the secret things belong to the Lord. Well, there's lots of stuff that's secret to us, isn't it? And his will for tomorrow is secret to me. His, his will for tomorrow is secret to the palm reader and the psychic. How do I know this? Because they don't always, they don't win the lottery. If they, if they really could do this, they'd always, be, they'd always be some psychic winning the lottery, okay? So if you ever are tempted to go to a psychic, just say, you know, do you win the lottery every week? And if the answer is no, then save your money, okay? The secret things belong to the Lord. He knows them, you don't. Don't try to predict them. Don't try to figure them out. But these are given to us. These what? These commands given to us in Deuteronomos, Deuteronomy, second law, which is filled with commands, the second giving of the law. And you read through Deuteronomy and that's what it is. I'm giving you these commands so that you know how to live in the land now that I'm giving to you and to your children. The secret things belong to the, to the Lord, but these are given to us and to our children so that we'll know how to live. What is that? These things that are given to us, these commands. This is God's moral will. And so the first fence, the first boundary for us is to make sure that we stay within that and we pray within that. And that then is going to help us to pray in the will of God. So you've got Scripture, what he said. He desires what he wants. And one of the things that he makes very clear he wants later on page 16, uh, we quote for you. And it's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. It's in your notes. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, which says simply this, it is God's will that you be sanctified. So if I want to know how to pray righteously, how to pray right in God's moral will, in, in what he has made known, not the secret stuff, not trying to predict his will, I don't know that, but pray in what he has said, then one of the things that I know he has said and that he desires and he wants is that I, that we be sanctified. That we be gradually set apart day by day 
to look more like Jesus. It is God's will, he says, straight up, that you be sanctified. And then in the NIV, there's a colon after the word sanctified. It is God's will that you be sanctified, colon. And here's what it means to be sanctified. And then it goes on to say, these are the kinds of things you stay away from. These are the kinds of things you engage in. very first thing is avoid sexual immorality, it says. But then goes on to tell us things that we do in order to be sanctified. When you pray in that way, Lord, make me like Jesus. Lord, in this circumstance at work, with this difficult coworker, with this difficult boss, with this situation that has got me gripped like a vice because I don't know what to do, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job if I refuse to do this dishonest thing that my boss is telling me to do. Whatever it is, Lord, in this difficulty with my teenage daughter, I should say teenage son, I've got teenage daughters, but in this difficulty with my teenager, with my spouse, Lord, help me to be more like Jesus. God always wants to hear that prayer, doesn't he? Because it is God's will that you be sanctified. All right. The other boundary, the other fence will be praying wisely. And we'll see that in our last week of praying with your eyes open next week. Let's go to the Lord. Our Father, we do come to you on the basis of the merits and the person of the Lord Jesus. Lord, we know that we could not approach you. We could not be alive. We could not be breathing if it were not for your mercy and grace all mediated through the cross of Christ. And so we come to you with that in mind, knowing that we're not worthy, but knowing that he is infinitely worthy and that he's our high priest and that therefore he intercedes for us and gives us direct access to you. And we thank you for sending him to do that for us. Lord, I pray for myself, I pray for us as your people, that we will go this week and that we will approach you regularly, but we will do so in the name of Jesus, always understanding our frailty, always understanding our sinfulness, but his perfection and his love and the right standing that we have before you only because of him. And Lord, we want to pray as we ought. We know uh, how limited we are in our view of our world. And our world is only one very small portion of your world. And so we don't know what we need to ask for. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that translates our our prayers, intercedes for us, to conform our prayers into what's best for us, not just what we think we need. Lord, we thank you that we can be reminded of these truths as they develop patience for us in our relationship with you and particularly in our communication with you through prayer. Help us this week to put them into practice. Help us to do it all in the name of Jesus. And Lord, may we grow thereby. May we achieve this purpose that you have explicitly given in your word over and over again, that we be sanctified, that we be more conformed to the image of Jesus this week than we were last week and the following week more than than this week. May we continue to be more like our blessed Savior until he takes us home or returns. We look forward to this week, how you're going to form Christ-likeness in us in the circumstances you allow us to go in. Make us mindful of what you've taught us so that we can glorify you in those circumstances. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.